Hi there, it's Matt Walker here, and welcome back to a rather fascinating episode that all starts with a conundrum. Should you gulp a coffee to boost your flagging brain performance in the afternoon, or should you take a nap? Well, it's a trick question, at least in terms of this episode. It's not one or the other, it's both. <laughs> Perhaps. And we will come back to the caveat of perhaps right at the end of the episode. But today, we're going to speak about the rather ingenious suggestion of combining these what would otherwise seem like two arch nemesis together, which is sleep and caffeine. And the technical term for this combination is, believe it or not, a caffeine nap. In other words, you take your nap with an espresso chaser. Uh-huh. <laughs> I know. But a quick background 101 statement. In a previous episode called The Art of Napping, I told you that naps of longer than around 20 to 30 minutes, they lead to many generous brain benefits. However, they do come with the short-term cost of something that we call sleep inertia. And sleep inertia, as you'll remember, is that somewhat unwelcome feeling of a, a slight sleep hangover after the nap, and it can take somewhere between 15 to 45 minutes to dissipate, depending on how long you've napped. In addition, in the episode, gosh, it was many episodes ago on this show, in the episode all about caffeine, and I also went into somewhat great depth about caffeine and sleep and alertness on the Tim Ferriss show when I spoke with him. We all know that caffeine will boost your alertness levels once it starts to hit its peak concentrations in your bloodstream, or what we call your peak blood plasma concentrations. But I also noted on both of those shows that caffeine can be harmful for your sleep. So now, hang on a second, I'm telling you that caffeine can be harmful for your sleep, but you should combine the two? <laughs> In the idiomatic yet descriptive words of the Duke of Norfolk in his letter to Thomas Cromwell in 1538, can you have your cake and eat it? And what I mean in this context is that can you take that longer nap of beyond 20 minutes and gain all of the wonderful, desirable, long-lasting nap virtues, yet avoid that initial short-term detrimental impact of what we call sleep inertia, or that sleep hangover when you first wake up from the nap? That is the idea behind the caffeine nap. And in fact, it's a method that I've used when working with professional athletes and teams over the years. So how then does the caffeine nap work exactly, mechanistically? And what is the real science behind it? What does the scientific data demonstrate, rather than perhaps anything that you've seen touted out there on social media? Well, from a pragmatic standpoint, simply put, a caffeine nap involves you gulping a swift coffee right before you take a nap, and then you turn out the lights and you cast yourself off into sleep. And I will come back to my word use of the term swift regarding timing in just a second. 
But we now have numerous studies, and several of which I will describe in this episode, that have systematically tested whether or not the caffeine nap actually works. Does the caffeine nap allow you to nap for longer, get all of those juicy brain and performance benefits, but without that initial sleep inertia when you do wake up, so you're raring to go from the get-go? Before discussing the caffeine-nap combination, I first want to put each one of those things, caffeine and a nap, head-to-head in a battle for improving your brain function, and here, specifically, your memory. Because by understanding how each of them perform independently, then we can start to understand whether or not we want to combine the two. And here is how the study went. The researchers recruited a group of well-rested, healthy young adults. And those individuals were then randomly assigned to one of three different experimental treatments. Group number one was the caffeine group. They were given a standard dose of caffeine using a caffeine pill. And for any of those keen-minded empirical minds out there, it was 200 milligrams of caffeine which for reference is similar to probably a pretty large, strong cup of coffee. The second group, group number two, was the nap group. This group was given an afternoon nap of somewhere between 60 to 90 minutes, which, as you'll remember from our Art of Napping episode, is actually quite a long nap. And then finally, the third group, group number three, that was the placebo group. And here, the researchers had them take a pill to mimic the caffeine group, but the individuals did not know what they were receiving, and this pill was simply a non-active substance. In other words, it was a placebo pill. Now, before any of these experimental shenanigans of being assigned to one of the three groups took place, the scientists first had all of the subjects learn different tasks that tapped into different systems of memory. Because it turns out that you don't just have one form of memory, you have lots of different forms of memory in the brain. And they tested the comprehensive range, going from basic motor skill memory all the way up to more complex textbook fact-like memory. And the latter is what most of you think of as memory. But when I say basic motor skill memory, rest assured that you want good motor skill memory. So they started off with a baseline measure where everyone had their memory assessed. And then following a spot of lunch, they went into one of the three treatment groups, the caffeine group, the nap group, or the placebo group. And after they came out of one of these three conditions, All of the participants waited first for 20 minutes, and then they all had to perform that set of same memory tasks all over again. And in that way, they could ask, relative to their baseline, before any of the three manipulations, after the three manipulations, was there a change in these different types of memory performance tasks? What did they find? First, when we look at motor skill memory to begin with, those who took the nap were significantly better relative to those in the placebo condition or the caffeine condition. So if we were to think about points on the board scored in terms of memory performance, so far we've got naps one, caffeine zero, placebo zero. But what about the other areas of memory? 
Well, they also looked at visual skill learning, and the same was also true here. Those who took the nap were significantly better, yet those in the placebo group or the caffeine group, they were not significantly better. Updated scoreboard, naps 2, caffeine 0, placebo 0. The sponsor of today's show is Inside Tracker, which is a service that comes out to your home and they will analyze your blood and your DNA to know precisely what is going on inside of you. Hence the name Inside Tracker. They look at your blood, your metabolic signals, your hormonal health metrics, and then they give you a personalized actionable set of lifestyle changes in response to that readout and the goal there is to improve your health i was looking and informed they have some new cardiovascular and new hormonal biomarkers that i'm particularly interested in one that i'm focused on is something called apob which is an absolutely critical heart health measure and I get it done now with them somewhere between four to six times a year. Why? Well, my family unfortunately has a strong history of cardiovascular disease. So I am checking that pretty ruthlessly. And by the way, I do buy the product myself out of pocket. I don't want to fall prey to any of those trappings and undue incentives. Although with full admission, I still use my own discount code that you can use to get some money off. And that code for you is insidetracker.com forward slash Matt Walker. So just go over to insidetracker.com forward slash Matt Walker. And again, if you want to get that discount, it is insidetracker.com forward slash Matt Walker. Thanks very much. And then finally, on to textbook-like memory, or the retaining of specific items, of specific facts. And after waiting that 20-minute gap period, just to let the sleep inertia wear off, the nap group outperformed the caffeine group, and they also outperformed the placebo group, but only marginally relative to the placebo group. Still, it's important to note that the caffeine group, they were no different to the placebo group in terms of their superiority of overall memory. So perhaps a slightly kindly view here if we look at the final scoreboard, naps three, caffeine zero, placebo zero. Now I should note by the way that caffeine did however boost basic levels of alertness and participants certainly felt more awake and less sleepy after they'd had caffeine. And that was true both relative to the placebo group, but also true relative to the nap group, at least upon first awakening from the nap, which is just what we would expect because of that nasty sleep inertia. So let me revise the scorecard as it were. Naps three, caffeine one, placebo zero. What does this first study teach us? Well, if you're only looking for a quick boost in your alertness and nothing more in terms of your brain function, then perhaps go for caffeine. Again, with the big caveat of what we've discussed about before, knowing that caffeine in the afternoon is more than likely to hurt your sleep in the evening. 
However, what this study also teaches us is that if you are chasing a much richer, deeper effect in terms of your brain performance and you're patient to wait that 20 minutes of sleep inertia, then naps are certainly your go-to thing. But still, wouldn't it be nice to have both of those things? Can we see if we would make the Duke of Norfolk happy in this regard? Can you actually have your cake and eat it? Well, ladles and jelly spoons, that brings us nicely on to caffeine naps. Some of the earliest groundbreaking research on caffeine naps was conducted by Professor James or uh, Jim Horn at the University of Loughborough in the north of England. And it was Professor Jim Horn who offered an answer, at least one of the first answers, to the Duke of Norfolk's proposition. But I've raced ahead of myself, skipping over the critical thing that you, the wonderful listeners, should first note which is when we come up with a scientific theory or proposal, we always want to have it grounded in past empirical data and also based on some kind of mechanism, some mechanistic rationale. And the scientific rationale for why we initially thought a caffeine nap would work is deeply elegant. As with so many things in life, uh, <laughs> ranging from comedy to stumbling upon true love <laughs> as you can tell not that uh, I know much about either of those two things you will recall from my original episode on caffeine that its effects are not immediate after you drink a cup of coffee your circulating plasma levels of caffeine do not start rising substantially until about 15 to 20 minutes later after you've consumed the caffeine and the peak plasma concentration levels are not reached until about 30 minutes after drinking that coffee. So you actually don't start to get that nice alerting hit of caffeine until about 20 to 30 minutes. Overlay this knowledge of the delayed action of caffeine atop of the evidence that I described in my prior episode on the art of napping. And there, you'll remember that I told you that the optimal nap length and by the way optimal in inverted commas based at least in terms of nice brain function benefits was somewhere between about 20 to 25 minutes plus but you'll also remember that after those longer naps which is where you really start to get the kicking benefit to your complex brain functions you also have to accept that short-term price of sleep inertia before being handsomely paid off in terms of all of those complex cognitive and memory benefits. I'm sure you can see where all of this is heading if you overlay those two timeframes that I've just described, because they are a near perfect match. As I told you, timing, after all, is everything. This was the mechanistic prediction underlying the caffeine nap hypothesis. Just as you are finishing up your optimal nap length of somewhere between 20 to 30 minutes, that is when the caffeine plasma concentration that you will have swigged right before you started taking the nap, right before you turned off the lights and your head hit the pillow, that's the same time when the peak of plasma concentration of caffeine is crescendoing. Therefore, as you exit the nap, 
when you otherwise would normally suffer from that nasty initial short-term sleep inertia, instead, because you swigged a coffee right before lights out, you are greeted by that wonderful cresting peak plasma level of caffeine circulating around your blood. You soar like a phoenix from the sleep flames, uh, as it were. Um, <laughs> too much, Matt, isn't it? That was yeah, a step too far. But anyway, I think you can start to see the benefits here, see exactly why we propose this. None of the sleep inertia, because you've extinguished it by way of the caffeine that you drank just before you started napping. No disagreeable grogginess when you first wake up. That was the proposal. What did Jim Horn and his team find at Loughborough when they conducted the first study to examine this, to test the hypothesis? In this study, there were also three conditions. However, these three conditions were very different to those in the study I described above. These are the new three conditions. Condition number one, a placebo group, and they got 200 milligrams of decaffeinated coffee. Group number two, this was the caffeine group. They also got 200 milligrams of decaffeinated coffee, but they also added into that 200 standardized milligrams of caffeine. And that's very clever. Firstly, it helps standardize the dose across individuals, 200 milligrams of standard caffeine, but it's also mixed in with the very same tasting decaffeinated coffee. So no one can understand what they're getting in terms of caffeinated versus decaffeinated coffee simply based on taste alone. And the third condition, which is most critical for us, was the combination of those two, caffeine plus a nap. So in other words, this group was given 200 milligrams of decaffeinated coffee, again with a standard dose of caffeine added to it, but then followed by a 15-minute nap. So how did they measure the difference that these three different conditions made? Well, they focused on brain function again, but here they administered something that was much more real-world-like in its consequences, and that was a driving assessment, or in this case, a driving simulator test. Just like a long road trip, the individuals had to perform a very long driving session across a very dull, monotonous route. And the key outcome measure in this test was drifting out of lane, drifting from one lane to the next. Because that type of driving error can be absolutely fatal. It's what happens when we see many of these head-on collisions caused by drowsy-related driving. So before the participants went into any one of these three conditions, they first performed a baseline test on the driving simulator, just so that we could assess the overall performance of each individual. And then came the implementation of those three conditions. And as you'll remember, those three conditions were the placebo condition, the caffeine condition, and the caffeine plus the 15-minute nap condition. In other words, the caffeine nap condition. After these individuals had soaked in uh, these three different conditions, back into the driving simulator they went. And then they were repeatedly tested on that driving simulator 
time and time again across the following two hours. So they were tested at 60 to 90 minutes later, 90 to 120 minutes later, 120 to 150 minutes later, and then 150 to 180 minutes later, which relative to the clock time from when they did their baseline was around three hours, but it was around two hours after they completed each one of the conditions. So what did they find? Well, when they looked at their baseline performance measures, what they found is that the number of driving incidences or the number of errors, the number of drifts from one lane to the next was quite low, just as we would expect. What did they find after the three manipulations? Well, there, things changed dramatically. If you average the performance in the first hours after these three conditions, here's what they found. Several hours later, the placebo group, who had no caffeine and who did not nap, they were making a substantial increase in the number of driving errors, deviating from one lane to the next. In other words, their performance had become worse the longer they had remained awake. What about condition number two, the caffeine group? Well, they too committed numerous lane drifting errors, but not as many as the placebo group, suggesting that caffeine by itself has some degree of risk-mitigating effects. The striking finding, however, was looking at the third condition, the caffeine nap condition. Their performance on the test, many hours later, was almost flawless. Such was their crispness of mind and their supercharged cognitive abilities after having the combination of both caffeine administered before the nap and then taking that short siesta, it made them superior to the two other conditions. That was some of the first evidence that taught us that the caffeine nap, uh, or, <laughs> or what I will sometimes refer to in the lay public as the nappuccino, um, <laughs> which is so underwhelming and lacking in its creativity. I know, I know, I'll probably just, let, let's just stick to, to caffeine nap rather than nappuccino. But so the caffeine nap was born by way of these groundbreaking research studies from Jim Horn and his colleagues in Loughborough. But can we do even better? Can we, for example, add even more things to our caffeine nap strategy and get even greater benefits? Well, far, far away from the beautiful canal-circled city of Loughborough in England, a research team at Hiroshima University in Japan, they took the game to the next level. They blended an even more ingenious performance-enhancing cocktail. They added more ingredients to the mix to boost brain performance. In addition to sleep, the nap, and in addition to caffeine, a cup of coffee, they added two additional manipulations both of which I've spoken about previously on this podcast. Those two additions were light exposure and temperature manipulation. What they also added into this mix, firstly, was bright light exposure soon after waking up from the nap because of its nice alerting effects. And they also used water. And here they were using cold water picked up by the hands and splashed on the face. Why? Well, 
Because as I've told you before, when you use cold water, it causes what we call vasoconstriction. So the vessels in your hands and your face, which are the two places where we lose a great deal of heat, that traps the vessels and the vessels start to constrict because of the cold. And that then traps the heat into the core of your body. And when your core body temperature increases, then your alertness increases. So it's almost the reverse engineer trick of what we do in the evening. We have to warm the hands and the feet, either by way of a warm bath or a shower, and that brings the blood to the surface of the skin, and that dissipates heat from the core of the body, so your core body temperature drops and you sleep better. But here, they were reverse engineering the trick very elegantly. And it was a heroic study. Gone were the standard three groups that I've been speaking about so far, and instead, they were replaced with five different experimental groups. Stick with me here. I will walk you through them and explain each one of the five very clearly. The five groups were as following. A placebo condition, which was a no-nap condition. The second group was a nap condition, and here they got a 20-minute nap. The third group was a nap condition where they got the same 20-minute nap, but then once they finished the nap, they also did cold water hand and face washing, and that happened immediately after they woke up. The fourth group was again a nap group, but instead of face washing, they replaced it with bright light, and here they were exposed to bright light for several minutes after waking up. And the fifth and final condition was our standard caffeine nap group. And here in this condition, they took 200 milligrams of caffeine just before the nap. And then they went down for that same 20-minute nap, just like the other three groups before. But don't forget, the first group, they didn't nap. That was the placebo group. Oh, and by the way, if you're wondering what that light exposure involved, it was a standard dose, as it were, of bright light at around 2,000 lux. And that occurred for a minute or so immediately after they woke up. And you may be saying, what does, what does 2,000 lux actually mean relative to what I would know about in daily life? Well, 2,000 lux is sort of like the daylight that you would get on, let's say, a partially a very British day, partially cloudy day. But never underestimate daylight, even on a cloudy or a rainy day. And I'm sure uh, my good friend Andy Huberman, who is sort of one of the light experts, would affirm that as well. This podcast is supported by Athletic Greens, which is now known as AG1. AG1 is a comprehensive nutritional drink that contains countless key health components. Actually, let me stop there. I say countless, but I actually know the company. I know how the product is made. And I believe at last count, it's over 75 different vitamins, minerals, probiotics, prebiotics, and other whole food nutrient sources. I do drink AG1 every day for the record. And also for the record, I buy my own supply because of all of the obvious integrity trappings that come with the free product. 
I know the company well, I know how the product is made, and I genuinely trust in their manufacturing. They are registered and approved by the Therapeutic Goods Administration. They also have GMP stamps, which means Good Manufacturing Practice Badges. Basically, they're rigorous. So if you'd like to pick up an offer and get some money off your first order, and also get some free travel packs, just go to the link drinkag1.com forward slash Matt Walker. So that's drinkag1.com forward slash Matt Walker. And you will get some money off your purchase. So again, last time, that is drinkag1.com forward slash Matt Walker. In truth, I do also use uh, my own link to try and get some money off. Uh, I do buy it myself, but I do use the link to get that code money off too. And you can use that link as well. Thanks very much. So after completing one of those five different conditions, all the participants were then tested using a variety of assessments ranging from measures of basic reaction time to also assessing the subjective levels of alertness and also the subjective levels of sleepiness. What did they find? Well, if you're one of those individuals who just wants the very quick summary take home, the sort of the, the Twitter finger buffet bite, as it were, I think what people are calling sort of, you know, TLDR, just give it to me. Well, if I were to simply rank order those five different conditions going from worst performance after each one of those conditions all the way to the best performance, here is the ranking based on what the researchers found. In last place or in fifth place, no surprise, that was the no-nap placebo group. In fourth place, perhaps somewhat surprising, was the nap-only group. But perhaps not surprising because don't forget they're testing them soon after waking up and they're still suffering from sleep inertia. So in fact, that's just what we would predict. In third place was the nap group that did face washing and hand washing with cold water right afterwards. In second place was the nap group that then had bright light exposure immediately upon awakening. And then in first place, and really by quite a large margin, it wasn't a close race, was the caffeine nap group. But the caffeine nap group being in the number one position is not the take-home message that you want to focus on here. Instead, what we need to realize from these findings is that adding face washing to a nap or adding bright light right after you wake up from a nap also gives you a nice additional benefit above and beyond simply napping alone. So adding one of those two things after the nap is still better than not having either one of those things at all relative to just the napping condition. So the real take-home message from this study, at least the one that I would like to gift you, if you want to go all in and truly create the most power-packed punch, as it were, um, actually, uh, I'm a non-violent person. I'm, I'm going to scratch that. Um, rather than me telling you what's the most power-packed punch, desperately violent, what is the greatest bang for your buck that you get? Well, the prescription that would be offered, and by the way, that's prescription in inverted commas, meaning non-medical prescription, based on these findings, 
would be that you should get into bed for your nap. Then you should swig your coffee or do your espresso, tuck yourself in, switch off the lights, and then immediately after waking up from the nap, you should go straight over to the bathroom, wash your face and your hands with cold water, and then you should go outside and get some natural daylight for a short period of time. Then come back to your desk, or if you're an athlete, return to your training or go to your race and get ready. And you should expect a juicy improvement in both your reaction time and your response time, your ability to focus, your alertness, and a decrease in your sleepiness, a removal of that afternoon slump. Such a great study and such a challenging study to do. Five different groups, I can't imagine. Oh, by the way, for any athletes out there or uh, sports teams, let me add a bonus Easter egg fact that I often discuss with pro teams and pro athletes. Previously on this podcast, I've also spoken about antioxidants and oxidative damage or oxidative stress. And that's not only harmful for the brain, it's also harmful for your muscles in several deleterious ways. And we can measure that oxidative damage, that oxidative stress status using two markers. One of them is called glutathione peroxidase and the other is called superoxide dismutase. Now, don't worry about those two terms. Just know that we have some biomarkers of that type of oxidative damage status. What we've discovered in other studies is that when we use caffeine alone, we actually see an impairment in the body's normal nice antioxidant response based on those two markers, which is the opposite of what you want as an athlete in terms of your training and your body recovery. You want to stay away from that type of oxidative damage of your muscles. So that's what we found caffeine alone can cause. However, when we look at using a caffeine nap condition, in other words, combining the two, you get that wonderful antioxidant benefit from sleep that I've previously discussed, and you still get some of the benefits of caffeine. And it's the sleep that seems to add a much-needed cellular oxidative damage protection to your body if you're using caffeine, and you still get a rejuvenating benefit. Okay, oh, so much cover today. I just find this topic so fascinating. Uh, <laughs> what am I saying? I find everything about sleep fascinating. But taking a step back, I do want to return to a cautionary note that I added right at the start of this podcast. Before you excitedly start positioning a Nespresso machine loaded with high-octane caffeinated pods next to your bed, preloaded for your afternoon siesta, it is worthwhile re-emphasizing what I told you on the podcast all about caffeine some time ago. Late-day caffeine can have a disrupting influence. Certainly, late-day caffeine or afternoon or late-afternoon caffeine, when combined with a nap, as we've learned, will provide you with some really quite impressive and, if needed, emergency afternoon boost. But please note 
that that benefit may very well come at the cost of then harming and disrupting your subsequent nighttime sleep. And it's a point non too subtle. So am I going to be as bold as to start recommending caffeine naps for the masses? No, I'm probably not. Speaking for myself, at least, uh, and I, <laughs> I'm rather an odd duck at the best of times, so I'm not especially representative. I approach the use of caffeine naps very sparingly. I use them as a very infrequent tool. So I will use them strategically only when all else is not possible. And when I do very occasionally use caffeine naps, I will also quadruple down. And what I mean by that is not only will I do the standard caffeine nap, which is the first two factors, I will also then add cold water soaking on my hands and splashing on my face for about two minutes after waking up. And you think two minutes doesn't sound like a very long time. Try it two minutes of cold water hand and face washing. It's actually quite a long time. And then shortly afterwards, I will go out and I will get a brief exposure to daylight, no matter whether it's a cloudy day or a rainy day. So there you have it, a far more extensive deep dive into this thing called the caffeine nap than I was intending to record. I hope you don't mind. I just went with it. Enough already, Matt. Take care. Thank you so, so much for listening. And I will see you next time. Bye for now.